Hey, and welcome to the Motherhood Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Lockwood. And if you ever look around your house and wonder where the heck did all this stuff come from and how am I ever going to get it out, you are in the right place. I'm a mom of five who decluttered her home back in 2013 when my family and I decided to move from Alaska to Florida with one suitcase each. And I do not recommend it. What I do recommend is learning how to declutter without becoming a full-blown minimalist, which means learning to find the balance of what your family needs and wants without it being so much that it overwhelms you on a daily basis. So if that sounds good to you, you are going to love this podcast. Let's dive into the episode. been trying to declutter your house and not been as successful as you like, I am willing to bet that I can help you figure out exactly why. There are a lot of reasons that moms feel like they can't declutter, declutter, whether it's their kids or their spouse or the time or the energy or just simply not knowing what to do, where to take things, how to donate, right? How to do it mindfully, how to not be wasteful. Uh, Plus you're worried about like, what if I need it? You know, I wasted so much money on this. What if I need it again and I can't get it? There is so much that goes into decluttering as a mom. And I promise that if you have thought it or felt it, I have heard it before or experienced it myself. And that is exactly why I created this training called how to create your mom proof decluttering plan. And I've done a lot of decluttering checklists, challenges, courses, programs in the past, and they work. And this training really is the framework for every single thing that moms need to consider when it comes to decluttering their home. It's the plan. We're actually going to build your plan together. It's following through with your plan and it's including your family and even learning how to make this process as enjoyable as possible. Because most people feel like The task is daunting or just another thing on their to-do list, and I don't want it to feel like that for you. So this free training, how to create your mom-proof decluttering plan, you can go to motherhoodsimplified.com forward slash DIY to get it, or you can just check the show notes of this episode and you will find it. Come get it. I know there is so much information about there. A lot of it is much the same. Five steps to declutter your house, you know? Here's the checklist to declutter this area of your house, but none of them really show you the full scope of what goes into doing this start to finish. And that's exactly what's in this training. So go check it out, motherhoodsimplified.com forward slash DIY, or check the description of this episode to go get it today. Hello, and welcome to the Motherhood Simplified podcast. This episode is much longer than usual episodes that I have. And I want to let you know that it's worth every minute of listening. So for this episode, if you need to save it and listen to it in a few pieces at a time, totally do that. But we talk about fast fashion, ways that we as consumers can take personal responsibility for the massive amount of clothing that we consume. We talk about some of the sad realities of how fast fashion affects people across the globe, specifically fast fashion workers. And I think that Sarah 
is such a great expert on this topic because she has a heart for humanity and she understands the nuance between being a responsible consumer, being a consumer who is a part of a consumer society and knowing that we do have limits in what we can do and what we are responsible for, as well as putting responsibility on these corporations who engage in unethical practices in their business that exploit people. So so had to pause for babies interrupting, but I hope that you enjoy this conversation. I hope that it encourages you and inspires you and educates you on things that you might not have known. We talk about practical things that we can actually do as mothers and women when it comes to the choices that we make and how we buy and consume clothing. I hope that it makes you feel understood and empowered and just gives you some ideas of what you can actually do with your bandwidth and your resources now without feeling bad about it. Because I feel personally that when it comes to decluttering and waste and fast fashion options and all of these things, a lot of times we can end up shaming people or judging them for decisions that they make when that defeats the whole point, that defeats the whole point of this conversation. We are all a part of a system. We are all trying to do the best that we can do with the information and the resources and the availability and accessibility that we have. So if someone tells you that they can't afford to buy ethically sourced clothing, don't judge them for that. If somebody tells you, I have to, I just have to do this because this is what my income allows for me, don't judge them for that. If they make a decision that is best for them when it comes to what they consume or how they declutter or how they let things go, don't judge them for that. We are all inside of a society that is centered around overconsumption and it is designed by design. It makes it very difficult for us to get out of this. So that being said, I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Sarah. I hope that you go follow her on Instagram. I hope that you go listen to the other podcast episodes that she has. She has amazing guests. She speaks with kindness, but also truth. And I can't wait for you to have this conversation with us. All right, everybody, welcome to this episode. I am with who I would now consider a friend, Sarah. She is the host of the podcast, Socially Misguided, and she talks about misguided social issues and social justice issues, which is like a, a closet. I don't know if it's closet. You guys probably know it's like a pa it's a passion of mine, right? But I talk about decluttering for moms mainly. And so I don't always get a chance to talk about all of the things that she talks about on her podcast. So her podcast is amazing. For me, it's almost like a form of intellectual self-care. So <laughs> I, I love her show. I love her podcast and I'm really excited to introduce you to her. So hello, Sarah, and tell us just a little bit about you. Hey, thanks for having me on. And oh man, intellectual self-care. I think I might have to like write that into my intro or something. That's such a nice way to put that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> well, hi everyone. Um, my name is Sarah and yes, Kristen, and I have kind of become friends, um, being on each other's podcasts. I think we're both passionate about a lot of the same topics, um, which is really fun to kind of, um, become friends almost in real life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, as far as, let's see, do you want like my 
background growing up? What do you want? Yeah. Well, I forgot <laughs> to tell people that what we're talking about today is, is basically <laughs> simplifying fast fashion, right? So I talk a lot about decluttering clothes and simplifying the amount of clothes that you have at home. I dabble in talking about, about fast fashion and things that we can do, but um, I'm excited to talk to you about this based on your background in like fashion design and manufacturing. You can, you can explain that part, but <laughs> yes, for everybody listening, we're talking about fast fashion today, the accessibility of it and what things that we can actually do about it as consumers and mothers, because it's not, it's not as simple as just like only buy from these types of people. Right. Um, it's not always accessible. Um, we'll talk about kind of the, the subtleties and nuances of fast fashion, but yes, your background in fashion would be an amazing place to start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. So um, I mostly grew up in Texas and Colorado. And then as soon as I graduated high school, I moved out to Los Angeles to go to school. And I went to FITM, which stands for the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. Not a lot of people know what that is. I mean, rightly so. It's like an art school. But for those of us around our age, if you guys ever watched The Hills, Lauren Conrad from the Hills also went to that school. In fact, I had a few girlfriends that were actually in class um, with her. I was not, but that's kind of the easiest, I guess, claim to fame for people that don't know the school. Um, so I got my degree in merchandise product development, which is kind of a hybrid between fashion design and merchandise marketing, which is basically buying. Mm -hmm. So uh, we did everything from, you know, pattern making classes to like understanding how buyers um, do markup and, you know, things like that. And so I worked, graduated, um, graduated in Los Angeles, graduated from FITM, worked out there a couple years. Uh, my husband, well, boyfriend at the time, but now husband, <laughs> we moved back to Houston. Um, I also worked in the fashion industry here. I've done um, private label for Francesca's done a couple other things. And then I decided to be a stay at home mom. And now I am podcasting. <laughs> Yay. I love yeah. That. I love this. So you kind of, kind of, you have kind of like a behind the scenes of what the fashion industry is actually like and how things develop. And before we started recording, I told you I had a specific question for you, but have you watched, have you watched Lula Rich? I have started watching it. Yeah. It yes. I and I planned to finish it because I was um yeah, couldn't look away. It was yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So yes. when, so is that kind of the the types of things that you do cuz I remember they they brought in like some of the designers and stuff for like patterns and prints that they would they would sell. Is that the kind of stuff that you would do like creating patterns and prints not for LuLaRoe, but you know. <laughs> I know. Um, so actually in terms of that documentary, I hadn't got to the point where I saw the designers. It was kind of more the buildup of like the MLM and everything and like how they got people on board. But I'm assuming it's, um, I'm assuming it's a similar thing. I mean, things that I would do is um, we would meet with buyers. Um, we would get in sync in terms of calendars when they wanted to release certain collections. And then basically you reverse engineer and work backwards from that. So I would create spec sheets, which is basically kind of an Excel type sheet with a sketch of the garment um, with measurements for, um, you know, bust measurement, length, all these things, sewing instructions. 
And then we'd send it off to the factories, get a sample back. Um, and then you show that to the buyers and they approve or we make revisions or whatever. And then eventually that piece gets um, into the store. Okay. So yeah, it's kind of the same, the same process. And I'm going to have to pause for just a second. <laughs> um, so that, that does kind of sound similar to the way that they did designs on Lula Rich, which to me, I watched it kind of through the fast fashion lens um, where, yeah, they would, they would talk about the prints that they're making. They would talk about the designs that they're making. Um, you might have an interesting take on it because in addition to them, like mass producing products that they never actually sold, they also stole, uh, they stole designs from like small business designers and stuff, which to me was like, I didn't know this could get any worse. Oh, that's kind did. of a, yeah. And that's kind of a big, um, that's kind of a big thing. I know like when I was working in the industry, I don't know currently what like this rate is or anything, but at that time forever 21 was getting in trouble all the time for doing, um, I mean, knockoffs, but basically not even like changing anything. <laughs> so they were getting, they were getting nailed all the time, but I think because of the sheer amount of stuff that they made and their popularity, I kind of feel like those lawsuits were probably drops in the bucket to them. So I don't really know that they really cared. And, you know, kind of like that, what do they say? Any fame is good fame <laughs> or like, I kind of feel like they had that attitude about uh, attitude about it where it's like, no, this isn't right. And we might be getting in trouble for it, but it's not hurting our numbers in terms of consumption. So whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that is, it's, yeah, it is a numbers game. Um, and I think it's a good way to highlight the, the ways that fast fashion, like how deep it really goes because then these individual designers, these small business designers are getting ripped off and they, there's, there's like legal jargon that says like, if you, if you alter it by like 15%, then it's not stealing their, their ideas and their property. And if you're a small business owner or a designer, you're like, well, yes, it is. But then you don't have the money or the, the ability to fight a legal battle against a multi-million dollar company. Like you just don't, you can't do it. Um, and so that's just another We'll talk about the ways that fast fashion like hurts many different people throughout like the web of society, but that is one of them. It's like it's the designers too. The designers they often also suffer because because of the fast fashion. So that's so true. And I kind of want to add, you know, we've seen more of this with the rise of influencers, and I'm sure everyone's kind of familiar with like dupes, you know, and dupes is honestly kind of a nicer way to say knockoff because obviously knockoff kind of has a stigma. I think people have um, education around that is, is gotten a little better over the past years. So it does have that stigma of like, you're taking someone else's ideas, but really dupes are kind of the same thing. And of course I understand the appeal of it, right? Why would you not want a dupe? Um, I don't know, Gucci, whatever, when many of us cannot afford the real thing, but like everything has a cost to it, right? So if you're getting this dupe Gucci, you know, loafer or belt or whatever it is, or t-shirt or whatever it is, you know, one, you're, this is someone else's like intellectual property that we're taking, 
Two, the reason that it's affordable has other implications for people in more vulnerable positions than us. And I know we're going to kind of get into more of that um, later, but we see that stuff all the time. And like I said, it's promoted like crazy um, on social media with like the rise of influencing. Okay. I have a story about this and okay. this is for, for the, the OG listeners and watchers of the Facebook lives that I did, but I had this hoodie that, that I loved and everybody loved it. It was like this cute little like zip up. It had like a side zipper right here. It was not a breastfeeding hoodie, but I could breastfeed one bait like off of one side. <laughs> and I was doing that, but it was a really cute hoodie. I loved it. I loved the color. And there was a boutique that sold it for like $65 and then I found it on Amazon, the exact same one for like $20. And I was like, that was, that was the beginning of me, like understanding like the, I don't know what the word for it is, like the supply chain of our clothing. It all generally comes from like one place and then brand names get put on it or taken off of it or whatever. And the prices are jacked up or they're dramatically dropped. And it's like, well, where, where's all of this coming from? Like, I thought that that was like a custom boutique where they like have these custom made hoodies for like $65. And it turns out it's a cheaply made exact replica of something you can get on Amazon. And so like, I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) How does this work? Yeah, no, you're right. And there's, there's kind of two parts to that. So yes, one, there are a lot of things that do come from the same place and you can kind of, um, in terms of like manufacturing, right? And it's kind of like, if you put this label on it, you can, you know, make more for it. But then there is the other side too that are like the direct knockoffs. And it's kind of like, you know, if it is a lot more expensive, maybe that company, um, hopefully because they want to be good people, but also maybe just because of the bureaucracy behind, you know, running a company and um, they're held to stricter, more stringent, what do you call them standards Mm -hmm. in terms of like transparency of where you're getting this manufactured and how are you treating your workers and all these things. Right. So they're kind of accountable for that, which also does increase the cost possibly as well as like their label name or yeah, a lot of things are coming from uh, on the other hand, a lot of things are coming from the same place and it's just um, different labels, different markups, different demographic. And that's why they're able to price it at these different, you know, Mm -hmm. Prices. (laughs) Prices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Different demographics. I think, yeah. Especially when it comes to like the influencer land, whatever you want to influencer world, it's like just because they have built up their platform, then they, they, they can do that. Right. They can do whatever they want. Then I'm like, that was when, that was for me when I started being like, eh, I don't know how I feel about this. And I don't know that I, I still don't know how I feel about it fully. Cause I'm like, ultimately, they're also a small business owner. Right. Like, Mm-hmm. in the U in the U.S. So that's great. And then also, is it, is it so great? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know where I stand on it fully. I kind of think it's one of those and situations. It's like you, you're right that their influencing business is their business and you want them to be successful and do well. And we also don't want the more vulnerable people, AKA the garment workers yeah. um, being taking advantage of to supply us, the consumer, all of these things. So it's really, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really tricky cycle and it's really layered and nuanced. 
but I think it is important to start kind of peeling back those layers and understanding that, right? Mm-hmm. So the garment workers, I like that because I, it's so simple, but I'm like, what do we call this? Because ultimately there are people who are making these clothes for us, right? And mm-hmm. I did a, I think we kept it as just a Facebook live inside of the Facebook group. So if you guys want to watch that and listen to that, you can go listen to it with my grandma because she was also in the fashion industry. But, you know, she was in the fashion industry in like the late 50s, like early <laughs> 60s. Looked and, a little different. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it looked really different. She told, she told me like interesting things like the reason that pencil skirts became in style is because fabric got so expensive that they made pencil skirts because it because of the war. Less, yep. Because it was mm-hmm. way less fabric. And I was like, that's so interesting. And it makes sense. Um, but she's also watched kind of the evolution of the garment worker because that's what she did. She, she lived in a time where she knew how to sew. So she sewed all of her kids clothes and she sewed clothes for the neighborhood kids. And it was a business for her. I actually have a quilt that she made that stayed like that was her bedspread for like 40 years. And now I have it. Um, like when my grandpa died, yeah, that I got that, um, that she handmade. It's beautiful. It's so heavy. It's so detailed and amazing. Um, but she watched things kind of decline where in the United States, it started to get where it was pumping out faster and faster clothes. And there was a, um, I don't know what to call it, the place where they were sewing and it burned down and everybody was stuck inside of it in the United States. And that's when they started saying things like that's when they started pushing it to other countries because they're like, it's too big of a liability for us. And so we're going to outsource this to another country where if that happens again, it's not our problem. And so she, she kind of talked about the history of that, of how we got disconnected from that because it's no longer in our country. So it's no longer in our news circles, you know, our immediate news circles, it's easier to hide. It's easier to cover Mm -hmm. up. Out of sight, out of mind, right? Easier to take advantage of those people because they, they, they don't know, they don't have access to protection um, mm-hmm. and, and that's where we are now. And she's like, and it's interesting because it used to be normal to just have a week's worth of clothes for your kids. And I know that's not normal for you now as a mother, you know, she's like, she's like, it's, it's, it's interesting. She says it so nicely. <laughs> she's like, so interesting <laughs> to go to target and be like, see these people buying like baskets of clothes and being like, it's just not what I, what I had. And so I think it's an interesting conversation. Cause that wasn't that long ago. That was my dad. Right. My dad's right. pretty young. <laughs> He's only like 50 something. Um, but for a lot of us, like you and I, that's just normal. It's just normal to be around this kind of clothing. And then it's, I've even noticed like in my own motherhood and like growing up, it's even more now because instead of like access to like a Target or a Walmart or whatever, now we have access to all of these huge online stores of like Shein or Shane, Shine, whatever you call it. I don't know. I don't even know how to say it. I've heard every which way. <laughs> yeah. My daughter, she's 13. She gets heated about them and she calls it Shein. So <laughs> that's what I've been saying, but I honestly have heard people say it like three different ways. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know yeah. what's correct. For the purposes of this show and my daughter will call it Shein. <laughs> Shein. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm with your daughter. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. She will go off on it about like how she's like, you better never buy from there. If I ever see a package, I'll be so disappointed in you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, great. 
Um, but I think that's a good segue into this next part of the conversation that we're going to have is like the accessibility factor and the fact that not everybody has choices to not go through somewhere like literally anywhere that supports fast fashion or utilizes fast fashion, Target, Walmart, Shein, Amazon. It's an accessibility thing at this point. Like many people don't have any other options. So that's where I, I want to hear your thoughts on, on this. Yeah. So you're so right. I mean, this is, you know, this is such an important conversation, but I also, I love that everything you do, you really handle with care because I've also seen this conversation get really snarky, Mm. which kind of points to this whole societal issue we have in the first place where it's kind of like people are bashing people who are maybe so uh, socially, excuse me, people are bashing people that are like economically disadvantaged and penalizing them for that. And you see that, I mean, not just in like talking about sustainable clothing and and fashion, but you see that throughout. So I think it's so important to have this conversation without there being kind of like pointing a finger or being snarky because you're right. For a lot of people, fast fashion is their only option. And really us growing up, people of our generation, this is all we know. I mean, later on, if you want, I can give you a quick little (laughs) condensed history lesson on all that, but yes. But, you know, it's as of right now, um, fast fashion is kind of what we know. Mm -hmm. And so online, you know, has especially post pan, I don't want to say post pandemic, it's not over, but you know what I mean? In a post pandemic world, right? I mean, even like online sales have gone up so much and retailers love that because they don't have the cost of the overhead, right? And you can have a crap ton of inventory and all these things. Um, But for people that can make other choices, I think it really comes down to a conversation of prioritizing and understanding that the way to solve this problem is you are going to have to go against the status quo. And that's hard to do, right? Because especially nowadays that we, with social media and all these things, we're bombarded with messages that say, buy more, buy more and you'll be happy, buy more and your life will look like her. And, you know, it's, we're sold this like illusion that having more material things will make us happier, will make us better. And we can project, you know, wealth and we can project status and all these things. And I mean, that's just a lie to make those companies fat rich, right? Mm -hmm. And not only are those companies getting fat rich, and when I say fast fashion companies, I'm talking about the Sheehan's, I'm talking about the Zara's, I'm talking about the H&M's. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's costing us less money, but in terms of the garment workers and the environment, they're paying a really high price. So that's where that priority um, has to come in. And I would say, you know, if, if we're talking about, again, for some people, the accessibility of buying things that are more sustainable, because yes, they are more expensive, right? They're more expensive because they are making sure that where they're sourcing their materials is not harming the earth. Um, there's a lot of thought into that. There's a lot of transparency in how their workers are treated, um, how their workers, how much their workers are paid, right? And you touched on this earlier, Right now, the fashion industry, especially in the fast fashion, especially in the fast fashion sector, 
It's taking advantage of very vulnerable people, people that have to send their children to work instead of school. You know, a lot of this fast fashion industry companies, they're breaking a whole lot of like labor laws. Um, child labor is happening. A lot of human trafficking happens. Workers are working in dilapidated buildings. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the collapse of the uh, factory in Bangladesh in 2013. That obviously wasn't the only one, but um, that one did get a lot of like media attention. But these people are being taken advantage of. And a lot of times they're also abused too. So if they complain about the situation, um, they're basically an, an, an indentured, ah, I can't talk today, an indentured servant, right? Yeah. And so, but, you know, us in America, like, out of sight, out of mind, we're not seeing the ugly side of this. And then we get sold the pretty shiny, again, illusion of like, if you buy more, you're gonna have a better life and you're gonna project all these things. But that's why we have to peel back this curtain. So sorry, back to if you do not have the means to buy all of the sustainable clothing, we need to just buy less in general. And that's something that I think everyone can do, right? We've got to stop buying into this lie of like, more is better. We need to wear more. Don't wear your outfits on repeat. Like that is complete BS. It is completely okay to be photographed <laughs> in an outfit more than once. Yeah. And so we have to be okay with that or shop secondhand. Or if you have a budget to spend, you know, a hundred dollars on clothing over the next three months, let's say, or whatever, instead of buying 12 fast fashion tops, if you are able, maybe put that budget towards buying two tops that are quality made that you love, that are going to stand the test of time that you're going to wear for the next several years. Um, Krista, if you don't mind, I would love to give like a little stat right yes. here yes. because I think, you know, again, like with that, with the whole worker thing, we don't see what's going on. So it's super easy to turn a blind eye. And I'm not even saying that happens intentionally. I think sometimes we just don't know. And why would we, right? These companies don't want us to know <laughs> because it's not pretty. So, um, I got this, there's an article in Vox that talks about, how we wear clothes about seven times before throwing them out. What? And yeah, exactly. So we're buying more than we used to. We're buying a lot more than we used to. And we're wearing those items for a much shorter amount of time. So seven times is about the average before we throw something out. So obviously when I say throw out, like these are not pieces that are damaged. This is just like, Meh, I didn't want it. I'm over it. And also last year, um, the apparel sales in the U.S. reached about $198 billion. So I just want to give everyone kind of an idea on like how much we're actually spending on this stuff for items that we are basically turning around and dumping in a landfill. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I am so excited to have this episode recorded so that when this conversation <laughs> comes up in the group, I can just refer them here because- I have the clothes course, like the clothes decluttering course that I teach. And what you're saying is a lot of what I've over the years. So don't feel like you have to like jump immediately to like, um, and they're now like, well, I was forced to work out at home. And now I actually find that it's far more convenient to not have to leave my house, yeah. figure out childcare, but they still don't have a decent work. Like they're still just trying to make it work. And so yeah. wherever they're working out, you know, it's like an ugly corner of the garage or 
like it's smushed in a laundry room or something, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's more convenient to do it at home, but I still am not loving this space. And we have this like home workout space envy when we watch people on YouTube or whatever, we're like, I wish my space looked like that. So she's going to help us with that. It's going to be great. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Um, it's totally possible to work out from home. Totally doable. Yes. Um, Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, I'm so excited for this event. Um, you guys can find all the info in the description or in, if you're watching on Facebook in the comments section and where to go find Megan so that you can learn more from her and follow her. If you're like, this sounds amazing. She simplifies it all. She's got the podcast self-care simplified. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me, Krista. I'm, I'm pumped for everyone that's going to come attend. I think it's, I can't wait to hear what everybody's takeaways are and how it like rocks their world. Cause I know it will. Yes. We will see you there. All right. And bye everybody on Facebook. <laughs>